Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young starlets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no holdups, not only in traffic, but also in life. How do people handle those holdups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same? Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, in Hollywood. Writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell. Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James. So if you've watched Take Fountain before, you know that this is a story about people on their journeys in the entertainment industry or attached to the entertainment industry. But I really like to just find out people's stories and what led them from one thing to another. It's not the rags to riches thing, but it's more about the decisions that we make and how we cope and all of the the internal stuff that happens, the existential angst um, and the good stuff, and it's fun. So you're going to love my guest today. Her name is India Dupre, and we met at Australians in Film. Welcome, India. It's so good to have you on board. Thank you, Ella. I'm um, very honoured to be a part of this. <laughs> that's so cool. We're going to talk about a number of things um, we're going to talk about your amazing story with your mother that you turned into a short and soon-to-be feature film called Stripped. It is available for people to see. Is it on Netflix or Amazon Prime? It's on Amazon Prime. Then, and it's yes. free on Amazon Prime. But if you don't have Amazon Prime, you can pay 99 cents to see it. Yeah, 99 cents, and it's well worth it. Yeah, no. it was the cheapest one I could put. I was like, I don't want to charge people. So the cheapest one was 99 cents. I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, so look, let's start with that story of Stripped and then I want to move on to some of the other things that you've done. Um, sure. It, it's obviously, it's award-winning, it's a wonderful story, but let me start with the question to lead you into the story. You were born in the UK. What took you and your family to Australia? Well, um, my mum was a single mother. She had three kids and uh, she was a Mormon and you know, we hadn't always been Mormons, but she, she was converted to a Mormon when my uncle became Mormon. And um, she quite liked it because, you know, she baked bread and it was warm and we lived in a very cold little part of Essex in England. And um, basically I had very bad asthma as a baby and as a little girl. And it was so bad that I would have to spend Christmases in oxygen tents and, um Eventually, the doctor suggested when I was about four that we should go to a warmer climate because that would help uh, fix my asthma. And he told mom about a place called the Fairbridge Society. And he said she could apply at the, at the Australian Embassy in London. So my mom went down there and filled out all the paperwork. And, and um, you know, you have to qualify. So they had to make sure that you have control of your three kids, that there's not shared custody, you know, that um, there's all, a lot of requirements, vaccines, all kinds of things. 
and um and this was in the know, my 70s mom, yes yeah. late okay. 70s yeah mm -hmm. so my mom was uh you know very excited for this opportunity they said they'd give her a job and a place to live in australia my mom had worked as a um a book illustrator for an advertising company. So she was um, very good with like illustrations and um, she also worked in a daycare center and she was also a cleaner and she sold Avon. So she did many, many different jobs and um, she was very shy. And so she loved this opportunity where we could all go and be warm. And we were shown films of, of the beach and little houses that we'd live in. And uh, it just sounded amazing so my mom sold everything she even sold our front lawn rolled up the grass and um we we had to come up with 200 pounds for the assisted pack passage program and you know once we got there everything would be taken care of so um you know we we flew to australia my my uh, siblings and i with my mom and we got there and we got on a bus and we drove out on this bus to the middle of nowhere in Western Australia. And um, we were super jet lagged and, uh, you know, complete different weather, boiling hot. And we kept driving and driving and driving on this bus and there was literally nothing around. You know, in, in, in England where we lived, it was, you know, lots of noise and shops and prams and buses and cars. And suddenly it was just empty. And uh, we ended up at this place, which felt like the middle of nowhere in Pinjara, Pinjara, um, Western Australia. And it was this place called Fairbridge, which was like a kind of like a commune of cottages. Mm -hmm. And um, it was very unusual. And we were all upside down, but it was what it was. Um, the problem became when they told my mom she couldn't stay with us. And in fact, they told all the mothers that they couldn't stay with their kids. And they sent them on a bus and said, you can get your kids back when you have a house and a job. And they had a forged document that my mom had given the rights to us kids. I actually found the document and uh, I did a lot of research and got all the beverage files and everything. But, but basically, um, suddenly my mom was in this foreign country and stripped of her children who were everything she lived for. How old were you and your siblings at this time? Four, I was almost five, uh, my sister was three, and my brother was nine. So um, it was very devastating, and not long afterwards, we were told my mum was dead. So, uh, which is what they have been doing, you know, you know, I found out a lot about this organisation since then, but since 1912, they had started this organization and they often told the children that their uh, mother was dead because it was a way to get control of the kids. If they thought they weren't going to be getting out of there, they'd kind of settle and take the discipline and adhere to the rules. Oh my God. So that's how we got there. <laughs> this is something that so many Australians are not even aware of because didn't the Fairbridge Society continue until quite recently? Well, it actually, we were one of the last families to go through it. It ended in 1981, at least this Fairbridge, Western Australia, and um, news of the bad conditions and poor conditions and abuse 
got back to England and that had been going on for years. These reports had been going back to England, but it got to a point where they couldn't keep it anymore. So that it was closed in 1981 and Prince Charles actually owns the Fairbridge Society now. Right. And um, I'm sure he didn't know what was going on there. Um, he actually came and visited Fairbridge in 1979. Um, but it's, it's like a trust. Uh, it's a Fairbridge Society trust that he owns. And in all fairness, Kingsley Fairbridge, who started the school in 1912, um, was a very noble person. He was from South Africa. He was a Rhodes Scholar, and he saw the workhouses in England, and he thought, okay, there's all this open land in South Africa. Yeah. Why don't we take these kids from the workhouses and give them, teach them how to farm, give them some land, and when they come of age, they can have that piece of land. So this was his his original idea, which he presented to a board in England, and they said, well, let's forget South Africa for now. Let's go to Australia because it's this huge commonwealth that we want to fill yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with white kids. So um, they, it, it changed and it went to Australia. And um, But the problem was is they were taking children from children's homes where their parents were still alive. And especially during the war, Mothers would put their kids into these homes uh, to get back on their feet because they would have lost their husband in the war or just, you know, die at times. And they'd come back to get their kids and be told that their kids had been adopted to wealthy families in England and they couldn't receive any information about them, no matter how hard they tried. They had no idea their children had been shipped to Australia and were basically on a work farm as children and told that their mothers were dead. And we are lucky we have our mom, but many of those children were never reunited with their families and had no idea that the family still existed. And it wasn't until I think it was the eighties or the nineties that this woman called Margaret Humphreys found out about it. Didn't actually believe it was true at first when people no. said I was shipped to it Australia as kids. Like what kind of minds yeah. would do that? Well, I mean, yeah. you know what kind of and, minds because yeah. we've seen it, but yes. Yeah, yeah. And this woman started finding the parents in England who thought their kids had been grown up in these fancy homes and reuniting them with their children in Australia. You know, a lot of the times it was too late, but oftentimes they were able to meet. So that that's kind of the history of Fairbridge. Right. What happened in 1968 is they couldn't get the kids anymore from the children's homes because some laws had changed and some reports came about. So they started looking for single mothers with several children to bring out because they were paid to keep these organizations running. So they, they had to have enough kids to keep it going too. So you and your siblings are in Pinjara mm -hmm. yeah. and your mother was where, Perth or? Yeah, Perth. So my mum went to Perth. How long were you there for? Well, um, we were at Bearbridge initially six months and then we were transferred to another place okay. called Bridgewater. So we, we went... So it was it was two years until my mum actually 
um, properly had us back. And could she visit you? Or, or... Well, um, there were some brief times in, in between. Yes, she could. But it was always, she had no money. It was um, nowhere to live, no, nowhere for us to sleep. As oh she was going darling. between a lot of migrant hostels, and and um, so it was, it was very, um, it was a very crazy time to the to the point where I thought I had imagined it, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I couldn't find any proof that this place existed. And then um, 2005, I just Googled it and found all this information about it. And I, I wrote to Fairbridge and I said, I was there and I would like to have my files. And they said, nope, you weren't here and we don't have any files. And uh, it was pretty shocking because we had no proof we even came into Australia. Um, and my brother couldn't even get a passport because we, he had no proof that of where he'd been all this time. So... Um, I so, wrote to a place called the Freedom of Information and ended up getting a lot of information that way. How did your mother get you back? Well, um, you know, she ended up becoming a stripper and she went in a strip competition. She won first prize and she got enough money to get a little cottage and eventually got us on a visit and... Um, you know, it kind of went on for two years, all the different things that yeah, happened. Yeah. But eventually she just <clears throat> took us and we fled. We hitchhiked over the Nullarbor. I mean, so we got in it. Hello, <laughs> Americans, please yeah. understand. Nullarbor <laughs> is Latin for no trees. I mean, that's right. <laughs> nothing there. And it, and it spans. Yeah. The, the eastern and western coasts of Australia where Sydney is here and Perth is here, and this is vast and hot desert and just unbelievable. And, and so, I mean, I don't want to, I don't, I'm torn, I don't want to ruin the movie clearly, but, I mean, your mother, who's such a beautiful woman, um, found herself with her three children on the Gold Coast. What happened then? Well, you know, all of this transformed my mother from this shy person who was kind of afraid of men um, into this shocking woman who the Gold Coast hadn't seen anything like it. Although they had, you know, topless women on the beaches, my mom just kind of, she wore high heels all the time. She rode her bike up and down the coast. Um, she had little denim shorts on. She had long blonde hair and three kids pedaling behind her. And so she was just very unusual. So most people from the Gold Coast of around that era will have known of my mom. And I get yeah. people writing to me all the time on Facebook with photos and things saying, oh, you know, look at this picture of your mom. Or I, I was in a lift with your mom once and it was the most well, exciting was, thing. She became you know. very famous. Was she, I mean, I might have been wrong. Was she in one of the Gold Coast meter maids? Is is that what she? She was, So yeah. wearing yeah. this old bikini and, and for people who aren't familiar with this, these women were hired to put money in 
parking meters so that people wouldn't get ticketed in their cars. And she was exquisitely gorgeous. And as you say, the high heels, the bikini, the long blonde hair, and this thing that single mothers doing whatever it takes to keep their children, to raise their children. And I want I want people to hear the rest of the story by watching the movie, um, uh, the, either the short or the feature is on its way. Do we have a timeline for the feature? I mean, I know it can take 20 Not years. Not at the moment. I wish. Okay, I, get I wish. I get uh, One yeah. of the things people don't <laughs> understand about, like you, you write this fabulous script and you get some interest and you get some finance and then it can still be 15 years away. So I get that. But the short at least is going to satisfy people as far as the story is concerned. Take Fountain with Ella James. Like many of these <laughs> stories... Here we have, sitting in front of us, a magna cum laude graduate from UCLA (laughs) with an arts degree majoring in theatre. You studied the Meisner technique as a performer for three years. You're a performer, a voice actor, a singer. You've had an album with Nick Hayward, um, who was in Haircut 100. Um, I mean, you have, you yourself have led an extraordinary career. What brought you you. from Australia to LA? Well, um, growing up in Australia, while I miss it so much and I think of it as home and, um, I, I miss Bondi beach because that's kind of where we we moved so much that that was like one centering place. And when I see it, I feel really good. Um, I think, I think I always wanted to get out of there. You know, I think after what happened to us, um, and Australia is very different now. I feel like the younger generation of Australia who are now in their forties or so are just much more well-traveled and much more open and, um, it feels like a different climate now. But when I was growing up, it was tough. It was really tough, especially with my mum. Although a lot of people liked her, she didn't really have any friends and she had very few friends. And um, It's very hard for really single mothers when they, when they don't yeah. have, they neither have a nine-to-five job where they can, they're working three or four jobs, um, they don't have a partner and everything in Australia comes in Noah's Ark. It's they they travel two by two. You know, rooms are twin share. Everything. Um, no no woman is going to have a woman like your mother, very attractive, to her home, um, because I don't know. I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, even Rotary has yeah. only just started having women on board because the Rotarian women didn't like women being included. So it's very difficult for them to have friends. They can't mix with the mothers of of your friends yeah. at school because their mothers are going, oh, I don't think so. So where, yes. do, they, where do they find tri- friends? They don't have time yeah. to go and Zumba or play tennis or, you know, like <laughs> they, they just don't have all of that. And that that's very difficult. Yeah. And I think that, and I raise all of this because you saw my show unmistakably, Ella. In fact, you oh, I loved brought it. my mum, your mum, to the show. Um, yes, and that's about it. my mother's experiences. You know, this is this is another thing where we bonded on. Um, but I I I think um, it it can be very difficult for for single parents to form those relationships. And then, as the child of a single parent, we're also struggling to know. 
because the other thing is we also can't have people over to a home that maybe isn't what their parents would want. Um, and so it, 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 I, I totally understand that I want to get out of here. And I've got to tell you, uh, uh, an American friend of mine said to me today, he's 80, but he's really, really good. And he said to me today, oh, I read something I had to share with you, Ella. Australia is 50% uninhabitable because of desert and 30% uninhabitable because of Australians. <laughs> well, well, I, love, I love Australia, right? Yeah. Um, yes. Despite what's happening there at the moment. Yes. Um, and Matthias Corman being elected OECD leader, like, woo! Um, but there is that thing of, of yeah. going to a different place, which may or may not be societally or culturally better than, but is different from. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and so and it was, it was Yeah, at the time, um, you know, when I was 15, I went on this singing show in Australia and won it with my best friend. And, and as a result, I joined a modeling agency at the time and I did a bunch of commercials and I suddenly had some money, which was unusual to be able to go to the tuck shop at school and order whatever I wanted, you know, because we'd always survived on so little. And um, suddenly I could go to the movies with my friends or, you know, I had had money. Um, and so I used that money to come to America. And at 15, I'm saying that how old? No, 17. So I, okay. I, I did it from 15 to 17 while I was at school. And um it was that thing like if you if you said in Australia at the time that you wanted to be an actress or a singer, the, the it was like tall poppy syndrome a little bit at the time. Honey. And um words changed. <laughs> so, I mean I was told then, Oh, yeah. where are you going? I'm moving to Los Angeles. Oh, that'll never work. My cousin's brother's sister's nephew <laughs> drive that. And that'll never work. Whereas when oh. I was here, it was like, I think I'd like to be an astronaut. And people would whip out their phones and say, hang on a minute, my brother knows someone at NASA. Yes, so yes, yes. Right. So like, nothing is too much. I, I, I made a short film uh, a while ago um, and it, and it's kind of like, oh, look at you. Oh, you should give up. I mean, you just passed it, you know, on it, passed it. <laughs> And it was just like, you know, you, you know, you're at an age where no one's going to want you. You know, you just come back to England. I know a lovely fellow. He's a little hairy, a little chubby, but you can see past that. We can get past this, you know, because if I was you, I'd kill myself. Oh, my I mean, God. I don't know that's how, gorgeous. how you handle all that rejection. You know, it, it was that kind you know, of you voice. Need to learn you know? to set all. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, but obviously when it, when you come to California and it's a whole different personality, like, oh, you're an actress. Oh, you sing. Oh gosh. I love that. Can I hear you sing? Where can I hear you sing? Or, um, you know, it was just a whole different. Your shows. Like I met a woman in the ice cream section of Ralph's here in studio city. 
And I was talking to a friend of mine who'd asked me to go and get her some ice cream. And I'm standing there looking at this, you know, vast selection. And I'm on the phone and I'm like, well, listen, there's this one and there's that one and there's the other. And this woman who was straight out of Sunset Boulevard, she had on the turban, you know, the coat, she had the rings and the fingers and like everything. And, And she wafted up to me when I got off the phone and she said, darling, are you an actor with that voice? And I said, yes, I am. And, and we had a little chat and I said, I'm doing this show at the moment in this theatre just around the corner. It's called Unmistakably Ella. And I gave her one of the cards and she said, I will come and see your show. Well, wow. years, the next Wednesday night, there she is in the audience. And, you know, I'd go and speak to the audience after the show because yeah. it was such a small theatre, 60-seat theatre, and I'd speak to people and and they would tell me their stories about their mothers and, and so on. It was so wonderful. But there she was. And I'm like, God, I can't get people to watch this show yeah. on Showcatcher in Australia yeah. because they're too busy watching The Bachelorette or whatever. But he, total strangers would turn up to be a part of it. Directors, producers, they would hear about it on the grapevine. They'd see in a nearby shop um, that there is this show on at a local theatre and they just want to see stuff, which is, it it gives you growth. It gives you wings, right? It does. It does. I hardly get that. It's it's just this form of encouragement and belief that you can do anything. And um, it's, I'm very blessed and I, I love that kind of attitude. And I do have um, some Australian friends that are also of that mindset and, that, and, and they're like you. And, uh, you know, that's wonderful to be around. And there's a group of Australians here in L.A. that um, I'm in a writer's group with and uh, we're all very encouraging of each other. Yeah. And um, I think it's like not so all Americans, yeah. not all Australians, not all men, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, yeah. But yeah. it is nice to be in an environment where anything is possible. Yes. And, I mean, ideally, one day I would love to have a little flat in Bondi that I can go back and feel like I made it and I've got a flat in Bondi. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to – I don't have to own it. Just, you know. But we we probably lived in about 30 different places in in. Bondi. So when I go with my husband, I like point out, oh, we lived across that shop, that nail shop, we lived across that. And, you know, and one place which I stayed at with my husband as an adult, um, just for old time's sake, was so bad now. But at the time, it was this old hotel called the Biltmore Hotel. And it was right on Campbell Parade across from the beach. Yes. And we had a single room with a sink, no toilet, no bathroom. You had to use that at the end of the hall. Mm. But um, anyway, and we, we'd all sing in the bathtub and when we'd come back down the hallway, the other residents would clap and, you know, there was all different types of people living there and I would see dead bodies leaving and it, it was, you know, quite an interesting hotel. Um, so I went back and stayed there with my husband, like, oh, let's go stay at the Biltmore Hotel. And uh, the carpet looked like it was still the same carpet. Oh no! All these years later, yes, uh, and was, it was, was it was like scandalous. going to a it was like going to a prison. You know, I was sleeping in this uh, bunk bed and looking up and seeing all the writing on the top of the bunk bed, like like felt like former prisoners. And um, 
<laughs> it was just, it was horrendous. And the bathrooms looked like they hadn't changed either. I mean, you, you literally had to bleach yourself after you stayed there. But since my mum has heard, which I'm kind of sad about, the Biltmore Hotel has been sold for, I think it was $27 million or most likely $47 million mm. and is being transformed into something, which I'm not surprised. It's right there, prime, prime real estate. People, poor people who would like to live near an iconic beach cannot yeah. do that anymore. No, they can't. Because, I know. and I, I have feelings about that. I mean, we lived in a lot of different places, in Housing Commission at La Perouse and Cogra and Bellevue Hill yeah. when mum finally made it. Go and see the show, Showcatcher, Unmistakably Ill. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Such um, a great show. Thanks, darling. But there really is that... that um, we move people away from the communities like we move and we move the nurses, the police, the teachers away from the communities they serve because they can That's no longer so true. to live there. That's you know? so true. No, well, even when I go back now and it, it's like, oh, where where could we stay? I want to go to Bondi. And it it's like you have to stay in like a very fancy place. It's like three hundred dollars a night yeah. or more. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not really anywhere. You have to stay further away and then just take mm. the bus in. Um, but uh, before I forget, I just have to say, Ella, we, my mum and I loved your show. We've seen you twice. We saw your comedy show and your uh, your one-act show. And they were just so funny. And I, I just want to say one line, which I really love, which is a little naughty, which is you talking about the pencil test, which is where you can hold a pencil under your breast. And if, it, if your boob doesn't flop over the top, then you're still kind of perky. <laughs> you said, well, I can hold an iPad under one and a printer under the other. <laughs> it was so funny. Oh, I'm so there were so many one-liners like that. That was my mother, <laughs> you know, because she said, you come from a family of large-breasted women and they will mm. start to droop. And, uh, and then I do that line, you know, I've been SAG eligible since I was 12, <laughs> making reference to our yeah. union. But that was her, you know, she yeah. walked around the house, single parent, you know, not wearing many clothes, and singing over my shoulder goes, one care. <laughs> <laughs> and I would oh, look I at that in absolute, like I'd go from me to her, from me. And, and I mean, she's right. She was right about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> and she, I mean, she, she taught me, um, you, I was, I was thinking about this on my morning hike, a new hike. You, so, you know, these things, these random thoughts come into your head and she was in my head going, I believe in you. Why don't you believe in you? And wow. it wasn't that I'm not believing in myself at the moment, but it like it came up and I thought, oh, I must remember that because that's that's just something that you know you need to hold on yeah. to. Do the pinky squeeze you and, do. and hold on to that. You're, she'd say, you're Uniqu. There's nobody else like you. Stop trying to be like everybody else, you know, because mm -hmm. if you've got curly hair, you want straight hair. If you've got straight hair, you want curly like all of that. You want to be... You want to be different, particularly as a little person, like up until 50. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. I just want to say you're, you're just so incredibly talented. And I also got a chance to read um, the beginnings of one of your screenplays uh, at Australians in Film. And I was just so drawn to it and just loved it. And I can still remember everything. 
Thank you. I read it like it's four years ago. I it's undergoing its 103 right at the moment, but it has been registered with the WGA because I was talking about the story in the show so much, so I thought that I should. Anyway, look, this is oh, yeah. this show. This is just like you and I are talking. There are hundreds and thousands of people listening. Um, I want to move on from Stripped, the film, because I want people to discover the story on Amazon Prime or buy it for 99 cents. Um, because it's just extraordinary and it will touch you no matter where you live, whether you're you're in Australia or here or in the UK, it will blow your mind. Um, but I want to move on to something because, you know, um, I have a I had a burning desire to tell that story, um, both Bunny, which is in the show and will be a film. Um, and also the story of, of the single parent who was the private detective, started her own business, like all of that, the, the similar kind of thing. But ultimately doing stand-up comedy all the time, you have to keep coming up with new stories, and that can be hard when you've kind of been a one-story person. You have done this with Ring, an amazing film, short film, with such an exciting story. In fact, you won an award <laughs> for it being a, a, a really unique story. Um, what film festival was that that you won? Well, we premiered it at Sedona Film yeah. Festival right before the pandemic, so uh-huh. we actually got to go. And um, the the other films that we were screening with were all so wonderful and exciting and and. And we thought there was no way we would win an award there. So, you know, we there was a big closing night party and we went to it and we had a great time. And then it was the awards um, brunch the next morning. Thousands of people. It's an amazing festival. And we thought, should we go before we drive back to LA? Yeah, we'll go. We'll go. So we just wore our sweats. And <laughs> I had brushed my hair because we were just about to get on the, you know, back in the car to drive back to LA for nine hours and we won um best drama most innovative so most innovative short film and so suddenly we have to go off on the stage in front of all these people and it was just so wonderful because it was the first time we'd showed the film and then it it went on to win quite a few more festivals um Catalina International Festival and Horrible Imaginings I, I won best director there and and then it it played in Australia at St Kilda and, and Western Australia and uh, the Western Australia Culture Awards and it played in India and it, it became finalist in a few different countries and um, and then it just recently played at the Women in Film Shorts over here in LA and and it's been wonderful because all the panels have been online because you you know it's sad you don't get to travel to those countries and and experience it in in a theater but but some of them you do yeah 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 so um so basically yeah it's 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 unusual you know stripped has taken me so many years i started writing it as a book in 2005 wrote it as a screenplay made the short as a proof of concept to to get funding to make the feature it's all still going on it's been about a 15 year process right ring i wrote it in two weeks filmed it edited it and you know so it's just it's 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 interesting how 
you can have an idea. And I was luckily lucky enough to have um, friends who were crew that came and helped me make it. Yeah. And Leander, my husband, is an editor, so he edited it. And I have a friend who's a great composer. So it all came together very quickly and and easily. And that was quite wonderful, you know. Yeah. So it was, it was really fun to make. I, I've got to, and, and this will probably be the last question, but I've got to ask you, you're clearly a very resilient person. Um, over the last 12 months, um, because this is like anniversary time for lockdown and, and so on in California. And and as many people know, we've had it worse than many, many places in the world. How have you kept body and soul and brain and spirit and mind together? Do you have a routine? Do you have one thing? Have you taken up something new? What's been your thing? Well, um, we bought a house Right. Um, we we had an apartment that we really loved, you know, old 1940s apartment in, in uh, Toluca Lake. And um, it was being torn down, just like the Biltmore, to make fancy condos. And so we had to move and, and it was very difficult to buy a house at the time to even get a loan or anything. And we found a little home near Griffith Park. And um and so we've just been pouring all our love into it, you know, DIY, like crazy, you know, just we've done it all ourselves. And then Griffith Park is right next door. So we go for these lovely hikes into the mountains and it feels like you're in Europe. It's just so magical. And I've spent a lot of time with my mom. Um, she lives in Hollywood. So she comes over pretty much every other day and we mm -hmm. garden. So I now have soil and I can grow roses and, and, bougainvillea and jasmine and so it's it's just been i i've actually kind of enjoyed it this time to just kind of cultivate a nest for us to live in and um take care of my mom and and i wish i could say i've been writing more but i've actually been writing songs more i've been playing piano and and um in this been recording in the studio um but I am working on a horror film based on this house, uh, <laughs> you know, so. I love that. This is the thing. Um, a friend of mine said to me, um, is that a dream of yours or have you set goals around that? And I said, oh, I don't do any of that stuff because if I have a dream and I'm focused and if I have a goal and I'm on that, I'm missing all of this stuff that's happening around me that might be a thing. It might be an idea. And if you have enough of those things and you're focused on all of them, rather than dissipating energy, I believe it stimulates. One thing stimulates the next, stimulates the next. And, uh, and that leads into the next thing, which has been my experience anyway. Um, but I'm just, I'm so delighted to have you, to have you on and to expose you to the Take Fountain audience who are just going to love a story. Um, they're probably going to want part two, so we'll do that. Um, but just to recap, has your song been released yet? The song that you wrote? No. Huh? Okay. No, no, we, uh, we, we're just mixing it this week. Okay. Um, no, but Ring is also on Amazon Prime. Good. And um, hopefully I'll get some music up on Spotify soon. And... Yeah. So thank you, Ella, for this opportunity. What a what a 
I, I, you know, I actually had a shower and put on a dress. So I'm all dressed up now. And I was thinking, where can I go after this? And I was thinking, right? oh, I know. Somewhere really fancy, Whole Foods. I could go to Whole Foods. <laughs> and I'm going to um, have an outing. You know, yeah. Yes. Right? I'm going to have an outing, go to Whole Foods and um, with my double masks on. And, you know, that's about that's about as exciting as it gets lately. So, I know. I know. I am so, yeah. I've taken up knitting. And talk about the small things. Like, really, I'm just knit one. So enjoyable. So enjoyable. But it's not, uh, you know, because you start creating art, and I make these little critters in acrylic boxes, and people go, oh, that's so gorgeous, you should sell those. And I'm like, no, I just do them for fun. And so I needed something that wasn't, somebody wasn't going to go, oh, your knitting is so amazing, you should sell it. I'm like, no, come on. Um, To do something just engaging that isn't about earning money because what we do, the voice, the writing, the singing, the everything is just like, oh, I could make money. Oh, I could make money out of that because you're always looking for money to fund something, you know. So, well, I'm going to keep in touch and find out um, the progress of everything that you're doing and we'll let the audience know on the various um, social media sites that I maintain when I'm not knitting. it was so lovely speaking to you today. Thank you, Ella. Thank you for Just anyone you listening and thank you for this opportunity. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you, India Dupre. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Tate Fountain with Ella James. Available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.